Rabbi Alex Israel recently shared a Facebook post celebrating the completion of the cycle of the Mishnah. He writes, I know that people find it difficult to do some daily learning. I love Mishnah. It is short in bite-sized chunks. Even a small section has a coherence and can be understood independently, unlike a Talmudic passage. Due to its brevity, one has to have a good excuse not to have time to study two Mishnayot a day. Today, so many people are looking for a daily learning option that's not only doable, but meaningful. Mishnah Yomit is a really great choice. With the Mishnah Project, you can learn on our website, mishnah.co, on YouTube, or join hundreds of learners on the WhatsApp group or Telegram channel and receive the Mishnayot on your phone every day. And it costs nothing to join. Join the Mishnah Project at mishnah.co. That's M-I-S-H-N-A-H dot C-O. And make Mishnah study a meaningful part of your day. of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. I'm here with my RZ colleagues. We'll start with Rav Johnny Solomon. Rav Johnny, he just had Midrash Lindenbaum, MTVA, and Matan. He edits at Mosaic Press. He rabbis on the internet. He's a virtual rabbi, and he, you know, um, you, can, you can set up scheduling with him. He's an independent Jewish educational consultant. He writes a daily thought on Dafyomi. He passes for his shul. He plays the piano. Johnny, you also cook, don't you? I, I've heard that you cook. A little bit. A little My bit. wife said I should be doing more, actually. She <laughs> said it's good to relax. I said, okay. Well, I made a list of things I'd like to cook when I make time to do I, so. I secretly desire to build a wood shop, a small wood shop in my house with hand tools. That's my... Uh, that's my secret desire of creativity. Anyway. Uh, That's your vice. Okay, enjoy. <laughs> my vice. Hello, vice. Molly Brabski. How are you, Rabbi Molly Brabski? Baruch Hashem. She's a Jewish educator specializing in Tanakh Mashevi Yisrael. She's also a clinical social worker with a private practice in Gush Etzion. For the current year, she's serving as a field advisor for YU's Wurzweiler School of Social Work in Israel. Uh, how are you, Rabbi Molly Brabski? Baruch Hashem. Very well. Okay. As I've said, I'm Ruben Spolter. I direct the Rimonim Teacher Training Program at the Herzog Global Division of Herzog College in Israel. I also help people um, for Tzohar prove their Jewish status, which, if you follow the news, is especially important nowadays because uh, you want to make sure that you're not marrying someone from Lebanon who like, acted as a Jew for seven years. So anyway, if you need any help with that, give me a call. I'm also the founder and creator of Kitad.org, the online Jewish classroom for families. So if you know a family whose children are not attending Jewish day school, and you think that they could benefit from online learning as an option? Uh, find me, I'm on the interwebs. Today we're going to talk about Chad Pa'ami, as it's called here in Israel, or disposable utensils, as it's called everywhere else in the world. I remember, Molly, when you were in America, we called them paper plates. Did you, what did you call you should, them? I remember when at some point my mother said to me, why do you keep calling it Chad Pa'ami? Like, since when did you call it Chad Pa'ami? I'm like, I, I don't know, what did we used to call it? 
Oh, we called it paper plates. You want paper plates but for dinner? What about like paper cups and yeah, but napkins? Then they switched to plastic, and... right? No, we didn't. Paper napkins was just paper goods. I mean, in England, napkin is something else you paper should know, goods, right? Yeah. What, Johnny? What do they call it in? What do they call it where you came from? In that country you came from? No, I, I think I think you're right. The paperware or something like that is the old term, but that's when they were made of paper. Then became plasticware and uh, disposables. Um. So I will just oh, wait, tell you. Sorry, I would just but... tell you. We still order paper plates from Amazon, which they fly to us, shipping for free, but you can still get, they, they sell paper plates in, in the United States, like, you know, Dixie plates, you can buy paper, like, like, uh, like the hot cups. So, so we still have paper plates. It's just in my, in my toda'a, in my sense of awareness. We're going to talk about though, uh, Israel passed a law, when they passed the budget, uh, the state of Israel decided to double the tax on chad pa'ami, on single-use plasticware, anything that's used at the table, plates, cups, and, uh, and utensils. And this has been, this has, this has, on the one hand, caused an outcry in specific populations, which is the Arab, but our, our connection is the Haredi population that is heavily uses Chad Pa'ami. But at the same time, it sort of created an outcry or a, a wondering because uh, this, is, this is obviously an agenda that was brought about or brought upon the state of Israel by um, more, I would say, liberal or left-wing uh, groups in Israel that are not connected to religious groups. And there's always the question that wh where is the religious Zionist community when it comes to these issues, when it comes to these agendas? And there's a perception that we're not involved and we don't really care about these things, and uh, especially when it came to this issue of paper plates. Now, I will note, it's important to note, that last week before, I think last week or two weeks ago, before the Glasgow, uh, big Glasgow conference on, on global warming, so a group of rabbis signed a letter, a group of Datsitsioni rabbis, you can find it on Times of Israel, we can send you a link if you want, signed a letter encouraging the government of Israel to be involved in environmentalism, protecting the, protecting the earth and the, idea, the issue of global warming. It was signed by a number of rabbis, sent to the president, the prime minister, and Naftali Bennett actually noted, he noted in his comments that rabbis were encouraging him to be involved, so it's clear that this letter has some kind of effect. So I, I think I'm going to start with you, Johnny, and ask you, um, it, what is your perception? Are we as a community involved in environmental issues? Is it something that's important to us? Or do you think the common perception that we're not involved, and you can even say, well, let's broaden it to the religious community in general, not just the religious Zionist community, the perception that we're not involved is accurate because we don't really, you don't find religious Zionist people, you know, at the forefront of environmental issues. You don't find them protesting. We have our things, we have our issues, we have our concerns, and this doesn't seem to be one of them, or is it? Um, so, interesting question. I, I want to go back to something we've said uh, a few weeks ago. I, I can't remember if it was the last uh, podcast or the one previous to that. How, because we have a state of Israel, there is no job which isn't occupied by Jewish people. And amongst those Jewish people include Haredim and Datitzioni and Masorati and Chiloni. And so the question is whether concern for the environment, you know, involves the religious Zionist community is itself, I think, uh, predicated on a sense that there are conversations taking place of which uh, this community does not play a role or is not interested. And it's been forced upon the society and it's taking a heavier toll on certain communities which are more single-use plastic users. The fact is, though, that there are members of the Tizioni community heavily involved 
in the work in local councils and government in recycling. I have a friend of mine who's a lawyer for Rishuta Teva, who basically oversees making sure that uh, the beautiful natural resources of the country aren't trashed and the animals, as well as the locations, are treated with dignity as somebody who's proudly Datizioni. So, the, yes, the religious Zionist community are involved individually. The question, though, is, is this amongst the top headings of the agendas of the Datizioni community, meaning when there are conferences, when there are publications, is this something which arises regularly? And I would say, not really. Not really, perhaps because uh, we live in a country in which itself, it hasn't necessarily put this at the forefront of its agenda. Recently, I was listening to a podcast with Yonit Levy and Jonathan Friedland, Unholy, and she was saying, just from a kind of broad perspective of what's going on in Israel, yes, there is overall interest in the environment, but when you are regularly fighting for your survival, it just isn't number one or number two, although perhaps it should be. I mean, she acknowledged that, but she also said, as a newsreader, she doesn't find herself often speaking about this other than when international conferences or legislation comes through. So it's not a top agenda, or it hasn't been, uh, but uh, the COP26 uh, conference and this letter of these rabbis have tried to nudge it a little bit more to being uh, something worthy of more meaningful discussion uh, to be taken seriously, not just by the individuals involved, but by communities at large. Molly, do you, do you agree with Johnny that it's uh, not one of our communal priorities? And if you do agree, should it be? I mean, uh, it, it is our children and grandchildren, if, if, if the science is correct. Right, 100%. So I agree with Johnny. First of all, I want to say that I agree with Johnny that it's not so obvious to me that the that the Lumi community certainly um, is not interested in this issue. Um, in Alon Shvot, actually, we were the pilot for, I, I, I think it was like 14 years ago in the this because I remember we got like a Pach Shemitah out of it. Um, we were a pilot for um, um, Michzor. What's Michzor in English? Recycling. Recycling, recycling right? Wait, that's the had... Hebrew word of the day, Michzor, recycling. Thank okay, you. There you go. Right? <laughs> we were given... Three garbage cans. Everybody had to have three garbage cans. Your disposables, your um, compost, at, at, meaning your disposables, meaning packages, like anything that was a packaging, like if something came in a package, it was your package, your your um, your compost, and then everything else. And we outside, you know, you have like the green frog in Israel. You take your garbage out to the Tzfardea, to like the giant dumpster. There were four dumpsters standing there. There was the orange dumpster, the green dumpster, and the brown dumpster. And everybody was separating, and everybody was, and like 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 that that year, the the like a Purim spiel. Every moment I remember was like, what do you do with the tea bag? Is it considered packaging? Is it considered compost? Like the stuff inside? Yeah, like, like a psak halacha. I'm sure there yeah, was like perm Torah like that was written about it. Paper. I'm just telling that story to show you <laughs> that like it, like it took over our lives, right? We were the pilot. Now, the pilot eventually failed because what they discovered was here we all were, an entire community of thousands of people diligently sorting our garbage. And it turns out that they were basically taking all three of the different, you know, sorted garbages and dumping it into the same dumpster. And we were like, Okay, government, we've had it. So that's just a slight, like a side point. But I don't think that it's a coincidence that the government brought the program to our community because, first of all, it's a yeshuv. It's like a smaller community, so it's easier to kind of do a pilot because you have like a contained group. But I think that the Tilumi community in general has values. And when you 
um, appeal to their sense of values, they often are the ones to step up, right? There are other areas also in which I think that that's true, right? In the army, they're the ones who are always going to combat service, right? We're, we're, we're our community that cares about values. And as, as Johnny said, um, you know, this Wait, Molly, you could say, oh, just one second, the idea of like, yes, our, we send our sons to combat units, but that's also because there's a mitzvah of Yishuv Haaretz right. and protecting, there's a religious right. value there. But, but that's it's, what I wanted to say. Well, first of all, I think in general, we also, we have a very high percentage of volunteering in our community. They're actually, I think that you're right, that it's tied to religion, which is going to be a point that I, I want to make later. But a community that like puts at the center education towards meaning, right, in a, in a, in a religious community, that's often, I mean, that is essentially religious meaning, but a community that that is trained to think about meaning, right, is going to, that's going to have like a kind of a spread to thinking about meaning across the board, whether it's more or less directly tied to religious meaning is an interesting question, right? Is it, is it that, as Johnny said, people care about the land because they care about Eretz Yisrael? Or is it, as I'm seeing, a lot of our youth, um, and as we've talked about, they could be all over the Retzef, they could be less observant or more observant, but like the amount of vegetarians I'm seeing, the amount of, of, of our youth that won't use disposables, right? the amount that, that for whom the environment is a very important issue, I think is, is not low. It's not, it, it's, you know, like in Midrash Shod and Yeshivot at this point, like you can't. Wait, 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 I want to stop you for a second. I would just, what you said, it's something so interesting because you know, you connected the idea of the Retzef with the amount of youth, meaning in your mind, I'm just wanting you tell me if I'm if I'm understanding correctly. So the more religious you are, okay, then you're involved in religion and what have you. But if you're on the Retzef, then you adopt all of these liberal. And I'm I'm not criticizing you. Okay. Is that what you meant? Because if that's what you no, meant, that's not interesting. Not consciously what I meant, but it it is an interesting point, right? I do think that like there's a lot to analyze here sociologically, and I haven't done the studies, and I'm not a sociologist, but I do think that it's true that religious community, meaning the question is, do you see environmentalism as a left-wing issue or not, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't have to talk about that, but there are definitely, um, there's definitely overlap, right? No, we don't have to, we don't, I don't want to talk about whether it is or not. Right, I want but, to talk about whether people see it as right, such. Right, there's that's definitely a perception of that, right? And that's really the point that I want to make, which is that I think that in general, religious communities have maybe sometimes more conservative tendencies for all kinds of reasons, right? The family values and um, tradition, right? Are things that are important in religious communities. So, and I think this is really when I was thinking about this, this conversation that we we're gonna have today, um, I, I thought to myself, I think that in Israel, the question is, how are you gonna frame this question, right? Which is, which is why I think it's a little more complex than what Johnny said, which is we might have other values and other priorities. I think it's more than just whether we have other values and other priorities, but it's what's the messaging? How is the how is the question of the environment going to be presented to the religious community? If it's going to be presented in a way that's very kind of black and white, um, like because because environmentalism is a complex issue, right? It really is a complex issue, and there are there are open questions up on it and about it. And if you deny the complexity, and if you deny the open questions, and if you deny collateral, you know, unintended consequences and all that stuff, and you just say, um, we are pro-environmentalism, period. And if you, if you aren't pro-environmentalism, right, then that's a moral failing. You're not going to get anywhere in Israel. In Israel, you have to, because of the complexity of our communities, and I think it's actually to the strength of Israel, you, have to, you, you, you almost have to give a more balanced message or a more complex message in order to reach people. And I think we saw that. You mentioned the letter 
that was signed by the Datilumi Rabbanim, I was quite impressed with that letter because in the letter, what they did was they called for awareness of um, um, caring about the environment as they rightly should, and they said it goes beyond, you know, about uh, don't destroy the world. It it, it it goes even to pikuach nefesh, right, to save to saving lives. But in there, they also put in a little paragraph that said, we understand this is complex. We understand sometimes mm-hmm. there are political motivations. We understand sometimes there are corporate motivations. We're aware that there's complexity within the environmental, um, you know, lobby, however you want to say it. Nonetheless, we are calling upon our leaders to take this issue seriously. That, I think, is an excellent message. And I'm, I'm actually quite impressed that they knew, not knew, but that they had the wisdom to phrase it that way because it leaves space for a more nuanced and balanced conversation. And, and, and I'll just wrap up with this. As you said about the Chad Pami issue, um, right, the issue of uh, basically what Israel did was it it put this tax. Right. I, I, I want to come back to Chad. We're going to come back to Chad. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, uh, all I want to say, just I'll, I'll, I'll end with this, is that the same rabbis who signed that letter, right, then came out and said, but we're not, we're, we're against this tax because we think this tax is 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 um, disproportionately falling on the shoulders of the of the weaker in the population. And I was impressed that they said that. Plus, there was an um, you sent it, a very good interview with a top environmentalist, scientist, environmentalist, and he said the same thing, right? He was talking about, um, you know, how we can help the environment, and he said two things which I thought demonstrated his nuance. He said, first of all, he's against the tax on disposables because of because it targets weaker populations. And second, he's against the, the, the statement that you'll find often in environmental circles, which is have fewer children, right? Because too many children is bad for the bad for the world. And he said that's not a healthy message. And the and the ability to say that, I think, um, demonstrates the ability to be nuanced and thoughtful and to and kind of weed out different arguments. And if we're able to do that, I think that 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 will be the that will be our strength as a country. So, Johnny, I want to turn back to you. But when I do, I want to sort of echo. I want to mention that the letter that Molly mentioned that we had talked about before. What's interesting is who are the rabbis that signed it? I'm sure you took a look and saw who the rabbis that were signed it. All of your, like, you know, your, your Rabbi Val Sherlow and Rabbi David Stav and to the left, but there was no one to the right. There was no Rabbi Nekav, meaning... Rabbi Ariel was on there. Rabbi Ariel was on there? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, take that back. Um, when, and for, it's really interesting, B'nai Akiva announced that in their, um, in their Irgun, B'nai Akiva is a very big uh, educational organization, People in Chusaret think that it's a youth group. It's not. It's really a system of schools, a reshet, a, a, a network of, of dozens of schools. So they have all kinds of different people who are in charge of different things in, in the B'nai Akiva. They have an English advisor and a Gemara advisor and a Torah, whatever. And they announced they were hiring someone to be uh, in charge of environmental education. And on Facebook, you know, I, I, like one of my Facebook friends who is from the, I would call it the right-wing Chardal world, you know, immediately jumped on B'nai Akiva and said, what, the, the Gemara education is so good that you have enough money that you can now, now start with environmental education, and it becomes sort of a more firm versus less firm. I'll even say it even more. Like, everyone feels like it's an attack on the Haredi community. I mean, that's how it's, it was perceived in the Haredi community. I'm not sure if it was or wasn't, but the perception is that Haredim don't really, like, care about the environmental impact of using in, you know, tons of chad It's not a priority for them. They have other priorities. It's just it's not a priority for them. Do you think that's, uh, that's my perception personally? It really is my perception. 
Do you think that's true? Do you think that's ac- why is it the more right wing you get, the more frum, quote unquote frum, the more Haredi you get, the more to the right uh, uh, in the religious spectrum or in the non-religious spectrum, the less this seems to be important to you. So I, I have to say, I, I want to comment to both your remarks and then respond. I think there are significant stereotypes in what you've said. As mentioned, uh, the national sense of prioritization of environmental concerns is relatively low. We can debate the statistics, but that relatively low uh, is expressive of many different communities, not singular communities. That's point number one. And so while this tax may well burden and hit some communities more than others, and while it's absolutely right to debate the notion of taxing Chad Pami, the question of whether environmentalism is a concern for all or for some is obviously ridiculous. We all live in the same environment, and in terms of prioritization, I don't necessarily think that one can say that one community takes no heed about X, whereas another community you know, is very much concerned. I visit many different cities across the country, and more uh, liberal left-wing communities uh, still have Chad Pami, and more right-wing, more observant communities also have Chad Pami, maybe in more measure, but uh, I, I don't think we can make some ab- such absolutes. That's point uh, no, Johnny, I just want to clarify. It's not that one more than the other, but it's sort of like... Ne- if you read the press, like the Haredi communities... If you read the press, that's the point. No, the no, I mean, it's true. If you talk agendas. to people around... You spoke there, about the political agendas... If you talk to, if you talk to people, they say, listen, we have so tons of kids. Press. We have tons of kids. I'm what, well aware. So, no, no, you know, but I'm, that's my I'm point. They, so therefore, the idea of using all these things once and throwing them out is not a concern. It's just not one of their concerns. Here's an interesting thing. You mentioned B'nai Akiva. My kids are heavily involved in B'nai Akiva. It's a youth movement. Uh, you know, and, and they also use things once because when they come along for Sudash Fusit, they're not all taking out China. You know, they're <laughs> having Chad Pami. This isn't just a... a okay, that's point number one. Point number two, I actually want to mention something very, very random. A, a few weeks ago, I was driving uh, with my wife and one of my daughters, and we happened to get stuck behind a car, which was so unusual. I haven't seen it for years. A car which is emitting just black smoke. Don't forget, we grew up in our different worlds uh, just prior to unleaded petrol and catalytic converters. We remember trucks and cars emitting a whole bunch of black smoke. And over the past uh, 30, 40 years, apart from smoking itself, which is a whole different conversation, the roads are now clearer, right? Cars have unleaded petrol, they have catalytic converters, many cars are hybrid now. Electric cars are very much on the rise in Israel. Ultimately, though um, environmental may not have been, environmentalism may not have been an explicit top agenda, we have seen radical shifts in terms of concerning ourselves with environment and governmental uh, involvement. I don't think that's so complex. Uh, and to, to go back to Mali's question, I, I remember walking around in streets where things were were very, very smoky and it wasn't nice. And now it's less smoky, it's nice. Because of government because legislation. Of a, correct. No, mm, and also because, here's of, the deal. Also because the rabbinic of awareness. Letter, awareness. Right. The rabbinic letter that was recently came out is nice. But I'm not doing what I do, and I, I recycle every Arab Shabbos, right? I take the whole family's week old thing and separate. I'm not doing it because they wrote a letter. I'm doing it because it's sickly, it just makes sense. Because I recognize that landfill takes up land and takes a long while to... Uh, to, to, to um, uh, you know, go into the ground. So I, we, we can look at recycling environmentalism from a religious perspective, which we should. And we can educate through the prism of, of religious values, which we should. But nevertheless, the notion of having clear 
air, you know, clean roads, and not so much landfill, I don't think is that hard. The real question then is, since we all want that, how do we do that, right? How do we get people to recycle? Is it wise to tax? There, that's a question of policy. And I accept that some people may well feel it improper because it hits certain communities more than others. But it should be muvan me'elav. You know, you mentioned about Gemara teachers in Yeshivot Bnei Akiva. Chazal say, it's just on a simple level, it's just being able to live in the world. If you can't breathe the air, <laughs> if you can't walk down a street without stumbling on, on dirt that hasn't, uh, hasn't uh, what's the word? I'm losing my English, um, uh, you know, crumble into the ground, um, then, then you can't live. So, uh, wait, Johnny, see what you just did? See what you just did? You, see, it's so, so interesting what you just did. English. You struggled, now forgetting the English, you struggled, you're, you tried to translate environmentalism into a religious value, and in order to do that, you had to make a drasha on a mamar chazal. No, 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 no. I've written, said, I've written 20 booklets about environmentalism. I, mean, I know I you've written you it. But I can give you more chamadin. I, I can tell you, you know? in Tchumin about like uh, 15 years ago, there was a beautiful piece, like, which I translate. I've, I'm, I'm well aware. It's not hard to make an environment. I can quote the, the Midrashim about Adam HaKadosh Baruch I don't need a drasha. You can't quote me fact, one halacha. Can you quote me a halacha? My point is a following. Yeah, it's don't cut down fruit trees when you come uh, to attack a, a city. Don't cut down oh, fruit trees. Correct. But you, okay. now you want to say that and then apply it to, you, you're not allowed to use... Uh, whatever. You know, I'll let Danny finish and uh, then I'll... No, that's what I'm saying. I, I it's, like I hard, it's hard I'm to speak religiously about it. It's hard. I don't need to... First, first and foremost, I think we need to be able to speak about it. And I actually think we should be able to speak about it without needing to bring in religious values because I don't need that to explain why I prefer walking down a street where the petrol is unleaded and they're Catholic converters. I can give you religious reasons why I prefer being able to breathe clear air, but I don't need to go there, right? So if only we would recognize in the community that sometimes things are so darned obvious that they are basically you know, part of the natural way of being, derech eretz, right? What we should expect for people, then we can add further religious teachings to demonstrate that the Torah affirms what is bleeding obvious, which is why, as I say, the letter, which is very interesting, but I don't recycle because the rabbis say I should. I recycle because it's obvious to do so, and it's nice that the rabbis are encouraging more people to do so as well. Okay, interesting. You know, it's interesting because it it makes me think back to like that famous article of Aaron Lichtenstein, meaning are there values that are that are so super superseding that I don't need a miss on the Torah or an obvious commandment in order to in order to believe in them? That's what Chazal talk about in Torah Mabul and things like that. Okay, yeah. I, want, I want everyone to stop here, take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back and actually talk about Chad Pami specifically about the religious value of. Is there a value in 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 minimizing chad pa'ami and uh, how you feel about uh, government invention in that in that area? Stay with. Sounds exciting, right? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Shalom. This is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a sheila, a halachic query, or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment 
for a small fee at my website rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, and we're back to the magic of radio, not radio, podcasting. Um, I want to come back to, to this issue, as I said, of Chad Pami. And Mal, you were talking the, the, uh, before about, you know, your daughter's going on a thing, and now they, she has to bring her own plastic cup because, you know, in light of the government legislation. So let's, I want to take you back a couple of years and remind you that you used to be able to take as many plastic bags at the grocery store for free as you wanted to, and how terrible we thought this gzera was on the whole world, and now you have to pay 10 agarot per plastic bag. And, and they've shown, you know, explicitly that the number of plastic garbage on the floor of these bags are much less, and somehow, like, we've gotten along with that. Was that a good idea? And if so, that's a sort of form of, basically a form of taxation. So do you support government initiatives to minimize single-use plastics at the home as well? Okay, so first of all, I just want to take one step back and respond to a few things Johnny said, which is um, <laughs> some things I agree with him. You forgot great, great at like ignoring my questions and like I have things I want to talk no, about, which is fine. I happen to think that it's an obvious religious value that you have to take care of the earth. I, I think that's I, I, when I was in Stern, I think the first Earth Day, um, I actually wrote an article for The Observer with Aliza Siegel, shout out to Aliza Siegel, about the Jewish value <laughs> of preserving the earth. And I think we use left of the Shamran, we use Belt, we used all, we, it wasn't hard to find sources. By the way, when and, you say The Observer, you mean the why you observe? Why you, yeah, yeah. No, it's Stern College. No, no, the Stern College. Here's a why you. I understood that. My pet peeve. It's YC and Stern College. It's Yeshiva College and Stern College, both under the umbrella of Yeshiva University. It's not YU and Stern, that's just a little feminist statement. Sorry, going back 20 years. If anyway, only that were true. If only that were true. It's true. Nachon, <laughs> halabah. Anyway, it was, the, it was the Stern College Observer. It was the YC commentator, and right? Am I right? Yeah. Come well, on. I don't know, well, I don't know why you were lost. Why, why were you writing for them before Hamavasar? Why were you wasting your time? I, that was yeah. two years before Hamavasar. Yeah, okay. okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> then, then I was writing for, okay, let me show um, the point is, I, I think it's obvious that the broad concept that we should be taking care of the world, um, I, I think Rav Lusin actually talks about it under Love, David Lashamrad. We have a responsibility to the world um, to, to keep it, to preserve it. That, that should be a religious value. I think Johnny's also right that it should just be a, a fundamental human value. Uh, um, however, that being said, I think it's also important, I'm going to say it again, I'm going to hit it again, which, re, which goes to your question, which is the solutions are complicated. And it's, so therefore, it's not obvious to me that like you're either on the side of the environment or you're not on the side of the environment. And I think that, that there has to be space for conversations about um, solutions and to, and, to, and, and to think about exactly what you said, like which solutions are effective, which ones work, which ones don't. Um, you had asked about the Haredi community. I will say that I, like let's not you know, kind of sweep it under the rug, to use an appropriate metaphor, right, about, you know, dirt or whatever. Let's not sweep it under the rug. There, it, there is less awareness in the Haredi community and I, or, or less compliance or whatever word you want to use, less, less affiliation with this cause in the Haredi community. I think that has a, a couple of reasons. I think one is actually practical. They have large families and they're not, they don't have a lot of money and, and using disposables helps tremendously, right? And if you guys remember... Um, I was very upset a couple of years ago when the rabbis came out over Chagim and said, don't use disposables. You, you know, 
wash the dishes. And I was like, you know who you're now like putting this on the shoulders of? I had a friend call me crying because she's like, you know, I, I host 20 people a meal over a three-day Rosh Hashanah, and now you're telling me I have to be up until 3 o'clock in the morning washing the dishes? Like, it's very easy for Can I respond to that? Can I respond to that? You can. Because you're bringing you up that. First of all, who said you have to have 20 people a meal? Second of all, okay, wait, wait, then- wait, wait, wait. I'm going to respond. Second of all, if you can put in the energy that you wanted to have to cook those for those 20 people, it's the exact same amount of energy for the 20 people to wash the dishes. Third of all, why oh, is she what? the one washing the dishes? Why, why is she the one washing the dishes? That's I mean, correct. Okay, <laughs> meaning, first of all, why wait, are you wait. having 20 people? They're not no, having I didn't 20 say of their that. closest I didn't say friends. That. They're said, having guests because they're being machnis orchim. They're having seminary students. They're having yeshiva guys. Again, they're 100%. And you say to the seminary kids, you know, in our family, everyone pitches in. And, and you tell them beforehand, and they'll never come again. But that's, I'm just that's saying that when in your ethic. call, in your call to tell women, because that's in the end of the Why, why women? I, I reject this Because at the end entirely. of the day, who's doing the work in most houses? Who's setting the table and who's clearing? So I agree with you. So then if, if you're going to say to families, right, use Chad Pami, then also say in the same letter, you say, right, Don't use Pami, obviously, right, obviously, um, men... You should be you should be involved in in the preparation and in the setting and in the clearing and guests you should be aware of this and you should be volunteering to help but don't ignore this reality right and again that's why that's why I think so again what's my point about the Haredi community one part of it is you have to under you have to have cultural um, understandings of of why this is burdening families a because they they have more children and they have larger meals and they have. They, they, they also have larger family gatherings, maybe, than, than Chilonim do in Tel Aviv, uh, you know, in general. And you have to understand the prices that you're asking people to, to pay for these types of initiatives. Should we or should we? So I, I don't, by the way, I, I will also say, because I want to be fair, yes, the Haredi community, they care. I, I, I do think that there's, let's, I, I don't want to be making super general generalizations after Johnny just warned us not to, but um, I do think that their priorities I remember I was on an airplane and there was this conversation where we were flying to like a very environmentally conscious country and they were like some some person like some Chiloni guy was talking to some Haredi and he's like quite frankly like we just care about other things we don't care about your environmental issues we care about like Torah I mean, and, and aesthetics, family. Look, aesthetics yeah, and cleanliness are not a priority exactly. for the community. And, and I remember when I, when I, when I worked in a Haredi community. Johnny, Johnny, go Johnny, walk around a, a Haredi walk city. Around walk around in a Haredi community and it yeah. doesn't okay. have the same amount of trees or flowers. It, the city doesn't planning, have parks. It doesn't have trees or flowers. It's a city. But yes. No, but, I, but I, when, I taught, when I taught in Givat Sha'ul, I was like, it's not pleasant here. As opposed to when you teach in in, I don't know, a Talpiot, and there are parks and trees. It's, it's and a And when fact. I taught in Kiryat Sands, it was, it was tidier than correct. when I Correct, and if you look in, in uh, correct, and Beitar is also Come beautiful. So Johnny, you I think you're not being honest. Johnny, you might not, make you don't want to. You're, saying you're overly generalizing. I agree with you. I am overly generalizing. But yeah, I but am. the generalization is true here. It's just but, true. But, but I think that <laughs> <laughs> we have to think about... Do you understand the critique of overly generalizing? The point is, if there are, if people have certain, like, stereotypes... It doesn't apply in every case, but it applies in general. You have to ask, is there a grade of truth in it? And if so, why? That's, I think, why. And I think it's an interesting question to think about why in the Haredi communities... Um, there is less of this. Is it is it just because they're busy with other things? Is it because it's it's like just a real you know a reality of their life? Is it because they have other values that they that they focus on and in other? I think all of those are true, but they should yeah, be acknowledged. I think so too. Yeah, so fine. your question to what do I think about tax 
Um, I personally, in general, I'm a little bit, I, 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 I'm not so pro heavy-handed government interventions. Um, if it proves itself to be effective after you watch, uh, you watch it for 10 or 15 years, and then we go back and say, lucky, okay, I'm not, maybe it was a good idea. But um, I'm generally like a little bit more on the, um, like, I, I need to be well convinced that, that a, um, an intervention from above is going to work before I say I think it's a good idea, in my own personal uh, opinion. Okay, I want to I respond. Obviously, I have something to say about this, and then I'm going to let the Johnny wrap up this part of the discussion. You know, I actually, when I saw the statistics about the per capita use of Chad Pa'ami of, uh, you know, maybe it's two years ago or three years ago. So I, I said to my family, I said, we have, it has to stop. Like, we, you know, there's, there's, there's no real reason for my family, at least, to be using disposable dishes in the middle of the week or disposable cups. And so we went to Ikea, we bought like really nice, you know, glasses to drink in. And if you want a cup of water, you take a drink of water and then you rinse out the rinse out the, the glass when you're done. I mean, we all leave them sometimes on the counter, but it, it wasn't. It's it's not such a mental leap to when you're done with your cup instead of chad pa'ami, you know, you rinse it out. That's like normal life. It's normal thinking as opposed to throwing something away. But I, I think for me, actually, what bothered me more about it does come from a sort of religious perspective. Maybe it comes from a derech eretz kadmah the Torah. It bothered me on two levels. First of all, it bothered me, I'll just take you back, you all know that I learned Mishnah and I teach Mishnah, and the thing that you get from the Mishnah, like, you know, is how poor they were, and they wouldn't waste anything. I mean, if you want to know, like, the size of a, of a cloth, that's Mechabal Tumah, it's three etzba'ot by three etzba'ot, which is literally like one and a half inches by one and a half inches, which means anything less, bigger than that, they would reuse. They would never throw it away, because they were all poor. So, you know, obviously they were poor. So it just highlighted for me, we live in a society that's so wealthy that we think nothing of creating things and then throwing them away. And I believe personally there's a spiritual cost to living in a disposable society where, where everything that you do is disposable and I, like, I eat on disposable dishes and I, I use it and then I throw it away. I, th I think there's an ethic in that. I don't, I, have to, I, don't, I have to articulate it better, but it bothered me and it still bothers me and I think there's a problem with it. Finally, we come to the issue of food. A while back, I wrote a class about food and eating in general, and beautiful. And I like, I you know, and I, I think I gave it to Johnny for your wife's. Uh, she had a summer summer seminar thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. And um, and it, like when you study the halachot of food, Chazal made every effort to get us to think, you know, seriously about the way we eat our food. You know, think about just some of the halachot, the brachot you have to have beforehand, the brachot you have after, to, to bring God into the equation. The, the seriousness which we take, the idea of being kovea se'uda, of establishing a sense of, of having a meal. You know, the, the, the idea, and the Rav writes beautiful articles about this in his Pesach book, about when it comes to the Seder. Uh, I think it's called Fe Feast of something, whatever, you know, the, the Rav's book on, on the Lela Seder. Festival of writes, Freedom. Yeah. Festival of Freedom. Beautiful essays about the Jewish ethic of the meal and how Judaism tries to remove our animal instincts and, and remind us that we are, we are eating in the image of God. We're sanctifying eating. And then we take that idea of sanctification and say, oh, I want to eat on, like, on this flimsy, disgusting plastic plate. And I'm not talking about like, nice stuff, but on chad pa'ami and these forks. I personally can't eat with a plastic fork. I just can't. I don't feel like you ever try to cut a piece of chicken with a fork, you know, like with, with a plastic knife. I, I, I won't do it. Because I feel it's a, it's a desecration of the food 
that I'm trying to eat. Now, of course, if I'm on a picnic, and of course, if I'm going like on an event or what have you, then I'll, you know, you, obviously, what are you going to do? You know, like there are circumstances. But in general, I think as a religious value, if talking about religious values, I think the ethic of valuing the food that we eat and honoring the food that we're having and treating a meal like a seuda requires us to take it more seriously. My answer to your friend would be, how could you think about serving your guests in a seudat Shabbat on Chad Pami? I would, I would never do it. She's doing it six times, times 20 people. First of all, what six for, times? She was in Chus Arts? No. She didn't have 20 people every Rosh meal. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. I know right. this woman. Okay, but we all make choices again. And be, between Ruby, you and me. I, I'm just saying, you're, you're saying that your choice is that you want to serve on beautiful dishes and have fewer guests. Real and dishes. Choice is, you, you, real dishes. Some I'm saying, but there are two conflicting values. Yeah. She's saying, if I want to be machnis orchim and also have a little bit of, of um, emotional energy to daven the next morning because I'm not going to be with my eyes, you know, falling out of my head because I haven't gotten any sleep. The way I can do it is by using oh, so I, That's another so, point. I remember when I was growing up, I'm when I was growing up, we all, we had a big family. Your values. I appreciate what you're saying. I remember I when I, values. wait one second. I remember when I was growing up, we had a big family. We were seven children. My father passed away when we were very young. My poor mother, I have no idea how she survived. She made dinner and we all had a night. And with your night, you washed the dishes. And, and, and you know what? We didn't like it. We did like it. We hated it. But that was your night, and that was your Torah and somehow we survived, and maybe we okay. even learned a little bit of responsibility. It's beautiful, and I think no, it's, it's not a great beautiful. Message. Where did no, that no. go? Where I'm not disagreeing go? with you, and I think it is a good message. I'm just saying, leave room for people to have their own um, proclivities and to choose their own values and how to weigh them, which isn't meachus. But I think the values of food, I think the values of having food, Shabbat and Chag, have been have not been taken into account in any way, shape, or form in this discussion. And, and okay, anyway, so I'm glad that you to, added it. Well, I'm just saying, well, I, I wouldn't say that, therefore, that in every circumstance, I did not say that. I said there were, uh, I said there were, I did not say but that. I, I, I said I there were, I said there were, I said there were times when it, there, it's appropriate and there were times when it's necessary. But in addition, you know, and there, but the, there is no other side of the coin in discussion in the firm community. And I think it has to be part of the discussion and not minimizing it. Johnny, you get to wrap it up. Okay, so firstly, just to just to echo, just on a very pragmatic level, we use Chad Pami probably more than we should. In fact, not probably, certainly more than we should. We also strive to use the Kalim that we have, but sometimes there's a quantity of people coming for Shabbos and Yontif outnumbers the quantity of uh, plates and dishes significantly, and choices are made. Uh, and, and those choices, there is a, a calculation made, even sometimes with a heavy heart, but uh, you also need to look out for Buyuta Nefesh. However, I just want to share with you an interesting psaq that I learned many years ago. I'm going uh, to get hate actually, mail. I already know it. <laughs> right. But an interesting psaq I learned many years ago, which actually has helped me with my attitude towards environmentalism. There's an there's a oft-quoted Shiloh as to whether you can make kiddush on a plastic cup because you're supposed to have you know, a, an important cup. And some people, over the years, some people have said, you should have two plastic cups. You've probably seen that before. That's what everybody uh, does. That's what everybody, you know. Well, well what, what some people do. So I remember I looking into it, saying two cups. Some people say in the name of Moshe. And then I looked at the chuva of Rav Benzion Abashaul. And he said something really, really simple, which I keep to the day. But can you just tell he me said, who that was? Do you know who was Rav Benzion Abashaul? Rav Benzion Abashaul. He was a Rosh Shiva part Yosef, okay. right? In Orzion. And what he says there is, if you use a cup more than once, it ceases being chad pa'ami. 
So what I do is I use a plastic, if I'm stuck in a place, I'm at home, obviously, I use a proper cup. If I'm stuck somewhere and I'm using a plastic cup for Kiddush, I then use it again. And it stops being chad pami because I've used it more than once. I use it to drink whatever other drinks there are in the meal. It sounds like a small thing, but we often think of chad pami as being single use. The truth is, that's often how they're made to be. But unless you're sharing your cups with other people, you can use it more than once. And my grandmother, who made Aliyah quite a few years ago, she's since passed away, she was not that rich. And uh, I, I remember being at her apartment in Kfar Saba, and she would use plasticware and rinse it and uh, use it again. Now, she also had crockery for whatever reason. Sometimes she'd be drinking or doing whatever. But there are occasions where if you do choose to use Chad Pami, nobody's telling you in all cases, obviously in some it's appropriate and hygienic, etc., that you have to throw it away after the first-time basis. And the tshuva of Rav Benzion Abba Shaul, in terms of kiddush with a plastic cup, I think serves as an interesting reminder that you can turn something which is very temporal into something which is more substantive, not because of how the cup is made, but how you use that cup or plate or, or whatever else for that matter. So I, I just want to say, I agree with you, it's not all or nothing. I think that's Mali something you emphasized as well. But the question is, what's the default? And then, and, the, and what is your default value? And then what's the exception? And I, I think that in our community, and, all, and especially in the Haredi communities, the default is, 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 is disposable and throwing things away. And I think that that's anti-Jewish values and anti-values of, that's just sustainability. There's a value in washing the dishes that you, that you use or putting them in the dishwasher and taking care of them. There's, there's, I think these are values, and you could disagree with me, but I no, think they're I important values. No, I actually agree values. with you. I just I want to say in defense of the Haredi community, like you're talking about a community that really educates its children from a very young age to be helpful and to be part, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I would say I, I think your point is well taken, and I think it's an important point. I just, I think that we have to always, always um, look at a bigger picture and see the complexities that are involved. That's, that's, my, that's my only kind of caveat there. Fair enough. All right, let's turn to Hamlatso. We actually have a super Hamlatso this week. Molly, take super it away. Okay, so the truth is... We never, that, I made that up, right? Super Hamlatso. <laughs> That's good. Now, yes, now we have a category for it. So I actually shout out to our uh, listener, Izzy Steckler, who sent this to me and said, this can be the topic for your next podcast. And then I sent it over to, to, to Ruby, and Ruby said it was going to be his Hamlatso. So we decided to make super Hamlatso of this. What is this? There's a sh- is, is it this is the Israeli X Factor? I think it's called X Factor. It's one of these shows where like you. The, it's X Factor Eurovision. It's, yeah. It's not just that, right. Right. It's not just that they got, got, are sing and get chosen and become famous. It's that the the winner is sent to the European song contest called Eurovision, and the there's this clip that that we should probably post of a young 23 year old Temani young man who is um so, so he's the contestant. Okay, so. He come maybe you, you want to describe it, Ruby. I think you're you want to do. Um, yeah, he is. Uh, he is. They ask him what he does for a living, and he says he teaches Torah in the Temani style. He looks very young. He looks like not 17. Doesn't look 23. And he has long black peyot. I mean, his peyot go like down to I don't know down to his chest. So you know the Temani peyot. Just imagine a very skinny, very lithe young man, and they start talking to him, and he. Uh, and he, uh, he, they ask him, oh, do you know how to do some Temani song that I don't, re- I don't recognize? It's Ta'amim, because he teaches Ta'amim. He doesn't teach just Torah. He teaches Right, so he starts singing the Ta'amim, and they're like so into it, and they love it, and like it's so beautiful. And then they show a clip about him and his family, and, and, uh, and then they ask him what song you're going to sing, and he sings Hello by Lionel Richie, 
which I don't know if you caught this, but it was a song that his mother liked, and his mother passed away from cancer many years before. And he sings just a beautiful rendition of Hello. And it's just sort of um, this mishmash of what real Israel is like today, because you have this person who looks a certain way, and he even says it. He looks a certain way, and you expect him to talk a certain way, and to sing a certain way, and then all of a sudden he's singing this Lionel Richie song, which like, where in the world did that come from? And they really, they loved it, and he did very well, and uh, was emotional because of his mother and his father. You can see, like, they show a picture of his father watching his father's tearing up, and like, it was very, very beautiful and very, very moving. So Molly, why did you want to recommend it as a hamletza? Okay, so the reason I wanted to recommend it was because I thought it said, this is a common theme on our podcast, what it says about Israeli society. And to me, first of all, it's just so beautiful and so moving. Everybody just watch it for that reason. But beyond that, um, I contrasted it with a couple of years ago um, when Israeli society, I think, was in a different place. Somebody I know, kid from Efrat, went on a similar show and he was about to sing, and the, the, the judges are always famous Israeli singers. And one of the singers, I'll, I'll say his name because he did it, his name is Muki, and he wrote a song called Yelich El Abba, which everybody should listen to because it's a beautiful song, but now I, I never want to listen to it again because I'm mad at him because of this. Um, he basically got up and said, I don't want to listen to you sing because you you're a boy of the national religious movement, and you, there was, at that time there was like a controversy about religious soldiers listening to women singing in the army. You guys don't listen to women singing, and so I object to you, and I have a problem with your presence here. And obviously he was doing it for the ratings, and it created a tremendous drama, but it was very painful and hurtful. And the truth is, Muki then came and um, performed in, he did tshuva. He came and performed in Efrat for the kids, and he said, I want to apologize for what I said. So I just want to say that also about him. But what was fr- what was so striking to me about this kid, somebody find his name so we can quote him by his name. His name is Shacha Adawi. Shacha Adawi was that the Adawi. Ho- Adawi. 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 Yeah. Was that the whole conversation, the guy came on the stage and they every single one of the of the um, judges was glowing with positivity and the messages that they were sending were all of these messages. It's so beautiful. One of them explicitly said that we have these stereotypes about religious people. And here you're, we, we're seeing that, that the stereotypes are not true and that, and that we shouldn't judge people by the way they look or, or what we expect about them. And he actually, Aviv Geffen, was on the stage. And, and you said that you'd like to listen to Aviv Geffen, who, at, again, 25 years ago was the poster child for... Um, for for the divide between the second who's and now and performing and with Avram Freed, Freed mm. yes, <laughs> lived about Ayn for a couple of months, which is really interesting. But like the you know, and we can't and and and, and Netta, who's the one Eurovision uh, people might know who she is, also <laughs> she was like, I want you to bring your Temani sound into your Eurovision performance because that's just going to be so amazing. What a blend of our cultures! Like all the messages were about respecting. Um, difference and and appreciating and integrating all of these differences into Israeli society. It was also moving for me, I think, just to think about the Temani journey because the Temani were discriminated against in the beginning of the state. Literally, their peyot were cut off, and now to have the peyot, right? Temani were peyot like it's just it's it's like a hallmark of a Temani person. So to have to be honoring that and to be like that is the most beautiful thing I ever saw, and it's such a wonderful piece of your culture. I found it so moving, and I found it, and the fact that that the that the judges did it. This is the cynical piece, but I think it's still moving. The judges did it because they knew it would play well with the Israeli audience, right? They knew that this would go over the same way Mookie ten years ago, whatever it was, knew that like inflaming, you know, flames of division was going to go over, was going to bring them ratings. Now they know that talking about unity 
and and appreciating difference unity not as in homogeneity but homo how would you say that homo whatever homogeneousness i don't know how you would pronounce that but unity in terms of celebrating difference is what is is the strength of israeli society i found it really profoundly moving and just the story's moving and and kolakavot to that kid agreed to agree with everywhere johnny wrap it up um well, there was one bit that you didn't refer to mali which is when when Shacha was describing his journey to this Eurovision, he talked about the feedback and response from his friends and his wider community, not his dad uh, and his uncles. And a lot of them basically said, why are you getting into this world of, of debauchery, right? Why are you getting into this world? And, and he said very, very proudly, not just in response to them, but in introducing himself in the video, and he really emphasizes, he says, I'm not making a compromise here. I'm coming here as an absolute Torah observant Jew. And I believe that uh, I have things to add here. And what's ironic is the people who acknowledge there are stereotypes who are able to come beyond it, right, are those who are not kippah wearers, who are not of that community. But those from his community actually found it much, much harder to make sense of. And through my spiritual coaching work, I often meet people who they gain a lot of acceptance as religious people uh, working in the arts, but actually it's their friends and neighbors who are unable to find a place for them within their community. And often that's the reason why they leave, right? It's because people from within the observant community aren't able to seemingly square that circle. What was beautiful about Shacha was he said, this is me. You know, I'm somebody who listens to Aviv Geffen, who loves Lionel Richie, which, by the way, I do, you know, showing our age. Um, and we make presumptions about what a person is by who, what they look like. And what Shacha was trying to say is, please don't do that. Don't do it for anybody, but certainly don't do it for me. And there's a lot to learn from his remarks. Uh, and I think... Uh, in terms of how we relate to all different types of people. Oh, we're back to the RZ wrap-up with Johnny So Beautiful, the dulcet tones <laughs> and beautiful thoughts of Rabbi Johnny Solomon. I want to thank you, Rabbi Johnny. Thanks for your time and your thoughts and your participation. Thank you, Rabbi Nimali Brabski. You can find us on your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We have an RZ Weekly Facebook page where we post uh, sometimes links. People communicate with us, and we're happy to answer any, uh, any, uh, any communications you have. Uh, if you want to uh, send me an email about how I'm terribly wrong about Chad Pami, please send it to malibrovsky at gmail.com and I'll be happy to answer you. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank my son, Petachis Bolter, for the music. I want to thank me for doing our editing and our sound. Thank you all for listening. Well, Have a great week. Reveal to it, does it? What? Oh, right. I'm sorry. I'm reveal right. to our teammates. <laughs> right, who are digital uh, editors. Uh, and uh, have a great week, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>